0: 2023. 2024. That's going to be a little bit difficult to write that on dates and things like that. I'm going to mess it up for like a whole month. Uh, well, hey, he has been faithful, has he not? I mean, has he been faithful in your story? Has he been faithful uh, in our church? He's been faithful in this community. And uh, he is faithful then. He is faithful now, and he will be faithful into 2024, and I can't wait to see uh, what he does in your life. I can't wait to see what he does in the life of our church, and just uh, as a quick moment here, uh, I'm, I'm going to get to do something kind of cool today as I get to intro a special guest for us, uh, guest that's not a guest because she's right here in-house as uh, one of our very own uh, at Axis Church, but um, before I do that, I just want to recap just a couple things really quick because this has been just a, a really historic year in the life of Axis Church, and Um, It's been incredible to get to see uh, the things God has done as he's been faithful. And uh, it would take way too long. I could spend a good 30 minutes to an hour recapping, but I won't do that. Just kind of a couple quick highlights um, as we think about the kinds of things that God has done this year. And you could go through, and I encourage you to spend some time. And one of the things we do as a family is we go home tonight. We buy a bunch of food that we aren't going to hopefully eat in January because we've been trying to cut back. But we're going to get all the things that we love which will include Skyline for sure, Um, a whole spread of Indian food and Skyline and all of it. It's just a mismatched kind of evening of just what's your favorite foods, and we get everybody's favorite foods represented there. But then we sit and we just look at pictures from the year and uh, scroll through literally in our phone feeds, which is cool just to like, and then talk about those moments, and we talk specifically about God's faithfulness as, as those things have happened, up and down, right? All of the stuff, like here how, is how God has shown up. And so as a family, I'm not going to do all that or show a bunch of pictures today. I just wanted to quickly do that. As, um, as, as God has really shown up in some great ways. And uh, thanks to your generosity, for example, we have been able to secure purchase of this building. And so that is huge. Yeah. God is good in that. And he just showed up. I mean, almost like we're like, God, this is what, you know, we think we need. And God's like, yep, that's what you need, plus a little bit more. And so here you go. And, man, what an incredible thing to be a part of. We've seen, as I look around, like, just the room as I'm sitting back here, many faces that were just not here this time last year, maybe even a couple months ago. But that's been one of the cool things that has happened is God is continuing to bring new people into the Axis family. And so let's make some noise for that real quick for those new folks. And even just as of a few weeks ago, God is is bringing, and and more that I know of that are going to continue to make decisions to join God's family, and that's what we're here for. We're here to continue to provide outlets for people to say yes to Jesus, to be part of God's family both now and forever, and so we have been able to celebrate life change and people being baptized and joining God's family, so let's make some noise for that. Thanks, God, for that. We have seen new groups started this year. We've seen new leaders being sent out into various aspects of mission right here uh, in our community as new community groups are started, core groups, and new efforts. And one of the things that I love uh, the most um, about this culture, this place, is we give people... the opportunities uh, here. I mean, God gives the opportunities. We just want to make sure we get out of the way in letting people unleash their gifts and their potential. And uh, I've seen a lot of people around here that would never like characterize themselves as a leader that are being pressed into, you know, thanks be to God and his spirit. Uh, leadership positions. We've seen so many people that have taken on the mantle of kingdom leadership in a variety of ways. And so uh, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited about what God has done this year. I'm in, in, anticipating all that he is going to do next year and so I'm excited about all that stuff and I'm excited that it's New Year's Eve and all of that happy New year stuff uh, but I'm really excited about our guest today uh, Courtney Lustig and um, and the fact that she's getting up here and she she'll, she'll tell you that this is um, you know the, the things that she continues to say or the, the things that God continues to push her into or the things that she um, you know has has said, hey, I don't want to do those things, but um, God continues to press um, leaders out into new things, and that's what I love is is opportunities like this uh, for Courtney to get to share her gifting. You're going to be blessed by her today. as She just has this passion uh, for God's word, and um, I knew that there was a, a slot coming up, an opportunity here at the end of the year, and uh, I, I know Courtney has shared with me um, that She feels like God is stirring something up in her uh, in terms of teaching and leading in those ways, and uh, and when you get to see um, her share today, you're going to get to see that she just has this heart and passion for God's word, and so she's going to share with you today really one thing that if you focus upon this in 2024, and and this is not an oversell or an overstatement, it could absolutely change the trajectory of your 2024, and so uh, I'm excited to get to hear from her. Let's make some noise and welcome Courtney
1: Lussig. Well, hi, guys. So, I don't know about you, but having service at 11 o'clock today, I really had high expectations that I was going to get to relax and prepare for the morning. <laughs> um, but, alas, that did not happen. Um, so, you know that I have three kids. My youngest um, decided he did not want to get dressed today. So, I had to wrestle him, literally, to the floor. Um, and as I'm finishing up that, I hear... Mom, I think the toilet's clogged. And it's never a good thing when you hear rushing water coming from the bathroom. And so I walk in and there's water spilling just on the floor, everywhere, rushing out of this toilet. And um, I say, um, Why did you continue to flush the toilet when it was already full of water? Well, it wasn't going down, so I kept flushing. I'm like, what? So anyway, for those of you that had to repent on the way to church this morning, um, I'm your girl. (laughs) So anyway, I tell you what, y'all. God has a sense of humor having me up here. If you know the old adage, be careful what you wish for. Well, in my case, it's be careful what you tell God you will not do. (laughs) Um, I said I'd never homeschool. I said I would live in the city and yet I drive around with a bin of muddy boots in my car, I said, I don't need this communications class in college because I will never be speaking in front of people. <laughs> and infamously 20 years ago, I told Ryan after being asked if I was reading the Bible that his family gave me, I don't have time for that crop. And yet, here I am, <laughs> with God having poured out a passion for me in his Word. So much so that I want to share the importance of and how life-changing proper study of his word can be. So several years ago, I started listening to my first podcast. I realized even at that time, I was very behind on adopting podcasting. But there I was, sitting in the car with a sleeping baby in the back, and I decided to give the Risen Motherhood podcast a go. The first one that I listened to was Jen Wilkins speaking on her new book, Women of the Word. And what really stuck out to me was her quote. We will not wake up 10 years from now and find that we have passively taken on the character of God. This was eye-opening to me, life-altering. It sent me on a path that I wasn't anticipating. God wasn't just going to download information to me without any effort or without seeking him. If I wanted to be a mother and a wife and a friend with godly wisdom dripping off of her tongue, if I wanted to serve God effectively if I wanted to love God accurately, I needed to actually know who God is. The Jen continues to say, We must make a study of our God, what he loves, what he hates, how he speaks, and how he acts. We cannot imitate a God whose features and habits we have never learned. We must make a study of him if we want to become like him. We must seek his face. Well, luckily, one of the ways that God has revealed himself to us is his word. I quickly realized that just hopping around from verse to verse wasn't going to cut it. That proper study of God's word doesn't fit neatly into a 365-day Genesis to Revelation plan. That a devotional was not a substitute for God's word. I needed to move on from milk, the elementary truths, to the meat. In Hebrews 5, the author talks about how the audience should be ready for the meat, but still needs to be retaught the basics. He's saying, I want to share more with you of who Christ is, but we are still stuck over here at the beginning. So I've poured myself into studying his word with verse-by-verse study. I study maps, I study context for the original audience, cultural norms, and most importantly, I look back at the Old Testament. The new comes to life even more when you look back at the old. This is such a leap from who I was even a decade ago. I'm really just a glorified artist. My major in college was intentionally picked to avoid things like this. And yet, here we are. See, we don't want to stay the same once we encounter Christ. In fact, you may have often asked the same question I often ask. God, what is your will for my life? And what I found is it's not so much what I do, but more so who I am. More specifically, who do I reflect John Stott says, God wants his people to become like Christ. Christlikeness is the will of God for the people of God. 1 John 2.6 says, he who abides in Christ ought to walk in which the same way he walked. But how do we know how to look more like him? How do we know how to walk the way that he did? Well, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we look to his word. Why would we be content with milk when there is actual food? I don't know about you but I personally like whole milk but imagine a life with just milk. You wouldn't experience steak and potatoes, tacos, Christmas cookies, salmon, broccoli, and even Brussels sprouts. Not all of God's word is easy to digest at first glance. Some is even a little spicy. Some foods we move on to we may try to avoid. In fact we tend to do this with God's word. We avoid the sections that make us uncomfortable or that we don't understand, but through proper study, we see a glimpse of who God is in every verse. The second Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Did you catch that? All scripture, not just the New Testament and Psalm, all. We need proper study of the entire scope of the Bible, and in turn, we are equipped for what God has for us. We need to grow in our sanctification by continually growing and maturing in our knowledge of God. This was never meant to have knowledge for the sake of knowledge so we can go around saying, I know more than you, like Ron Swanson at Home Depot in Parks and Rec. The intention is to know more of the God that I claim to love and serve. So in turn, I am equipped for the good plans that he has for me. Does this mean that you aren't effective until you have learned every doctrine, memorized 110 verses, and have a confident scope of the entire biblical narrative? Absolutely not. To think that you cannot be effective without complete knowledge is a lie. We are sanctified over time. We don't develop Christ-like character all at once. You wouldn't give an infant tacos. They need milk. That's okay. But as they grow, they're able to handle more. And in fact, substance is good for them and necessary. I certainly wouldn't feed my 10-year-old baby food because he's ready and capable for more. But it's the same with the Word of God. I wouldn't expect if you are new to the faith to do a line-by-line study of revelation. And truthfully, I haven't even done that in-depth study yet. So another reason to study the Word is to combat the lies that we face daily. The Bible warns us many times of false prophets. In 1 John 4:1, we read, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, how can you spot a false prophet? How can we spot heresy? The most effective way to spot the lie is by knowing the truth well. well Stephen has often used the counterfeit dollar illustration. So the fake dollars change, but the real one stays the same. And so that's the one that's studied. We see an example of this in Scripture with the Bereans. In Acts 17, we find Paul teaching in the synagogue in Berea after being driven out of Thessalonica by the Jewish community there. So Acts 17, says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we can glean a lot about the Bereans from just this one passage in which they're mentioned. These people were eager to hear the good news that Paul and Silas were sharing. They had an eagerness to hear the things of God. Are you eager to hear the things of God? Are you eager to open the Bible every day? See, we have more access to our sacred texts than any other time in history, and arguably more than most other countries. We are really without excuse. Did you know there are people today being greatly persecuted for their faith in Jesus? I'm talking, like, killed by their families or members of their communities. So our family has the pleasure of knowing a family from Egypt who left their country due to severe persecution for their faith. They now work with a ministry that tries to get the Bible into the hands of Muslim believers in Egypt and other communities in the Middle East. The people they work with are desperate for the word of God but they have no access to it. They could be killed if found with it, and they are willing to endanger themselves to learn more about the God that they have given their life to. This is hard for our minds to grasp. Are we desperate, that desperate, for the Bible? One that a lot of us carry around in our pockets on an app? Though I also love how the Bereans are just like, well, love what you're saying, Paul. Sounds great, but, you know, just give us a minute. We want to check something just real quick. I love how they take ownership of their faith. They challenge what they hear, even if it sounds great, by going to the scripture for themselves. As great as it may sound, if it doesn't align with God's word, then we should not hold fast to it. A lot of the pastoral letters are written to combat some sort of heresy in the church. False truths were at every corner, not to mention pagan ideals that would try to infiltrate the things of God. So they would have every reason to check what they are hearing, regardless of the status of the speaker. So I was at a conference a couple of years ago, and there was this guy who was speaking about the Israelites crossing over the Jordan River. So if you know the story in Joshua, the Israelites were finally able to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. God told Joshua to have the priests walk into the middle of the Jordan with the ark, and the flow of the water completely stopped so the Israelites could walk across on dry ground. A member from each tribe was asked to pull out stones from the middle of the Jordan and create a memorial stack of them in Canaan. And this guy said, because it was a reminder of all the hard things that they had gone through, to remind them of Egypt, to remind them of where they had been, and so that when they gazed upon them, they would remember how hard it was in the wilderness. So that kind of seems like it checks out, right? Well, we get in the car afterwards, and the group I was with was talking about the sermon and how much they liked it, and I'm just sitting there going, mm, why? Because it's always really fun being that person. <laughs> um, so anyway, I had just studied Exodus and Numbers and Joshua, and so I responded with something along the lines. I was like, yeah, that sounded great, but that's not really what the text says. So if we go to the text in Joshua 4, 19 through 24, we read, On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents what did these stones mean, tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So the guy had said the memorial stones were placed there as a reminder of the hardship in Egypt and the wilderness. And so the Israelites could look there and remember how hard it was. His sermon was based off of something incredibly challenging in his own life and the reminders that he has of the hardship. But the book of Joshua says more than once that these stones were placed there to display God's power. So all the nations would know the God of Israel is all-powerful, capable of stopping a rushing river at its flood stage to reveal dry ground. And did you catch God's graciousness to not even allow their sandals to get muddy? So they were about to enter a land full of pagan gods, many, and he was setting this generation up to know the power of the God that they serve and that they might fear him, that they would have reverence and awe for him. He parted the Jordan for Israel to cross over on dry ground just as he did the Red Sea. And if you remember, this generation had not seen the Red Sea part because of the disobedience of the generation before them. God was gracious to do it again for this generation, so there was no doubt about who they serve, and so that the pagan nations would be fearful of this God of Israel. So his sermon was a slight shift of the focus of being on God to the focus of being on self. And you might be thinking, like, give this guy a break. That seems to be harmless. Now, I don't think his intent was to lead anyone astray by this shift in what the text had said, but there are people whose intent is to lead you astray. There are people who will twist scripture to say things like, that sin really isn't a big deal. So if you aren't healthy and wealthy, then you don't love God enough. You can manifest what you want to happen. There's more than one way to God. And they get away with it because they know that we don't know our Bibles. They count on it, in fact. It's the oldest trick in the book, if you will. The deceiver has been doing this since the beginning. Did God really say that you will die, Eve? Yes. God said that you will surely die. With certainty, you will die. And this is what Satan does. He plants the seed and then watches it grow. In Luke 4, we see Jesus being tempted by Satan. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. How does Jesus respond to all of the devil's temptations and lies? He responds with scripture. Jesus was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. So if we want to be like Jesus, we should be eager to learn from him and how he resisted Satan. And he combats the lies with the truth. We see Satan specifically in verse 10 also say it is written. That reminds us that Satan knows the scriptures too. He can quote them but always with a twist or a lie and with the intent to lead us astray. Satan will often bait the hook with truth so that we swallow the whole thing. So we wonder why so many have fallen from their faith. We crumble when we're challenged by questions that we don't know the answer to. We have lost courage because we aren't confident in what we claim to know, and we have little desire to know it. The other side is we also don't want to be spreading heresy. We don't want to be leading people to Christ with information that is false. But here's the thing. The deep things of God aren't inaccessible for you. They are not meant to be over your head. We will not be able to grasp everything that we read in its entirety at first, but bite by bite, we will grow in our accurate knowledge and love of him. So Jen Wilkin also uses this great illustration of a bank account for the knowledge of scripture. So for years, I viewed my interaction with the Bible as a debit account. I had a need, and so I went to the Bible to withdraw an answer. But we do much better to view our interaction with the Bible as a savings account. I stretch my understanding daily, I deposit what I glean, and I wait patiently for it to accumulate in value, knowing one day that I will need to draw on it. So day by day, Interaction after interaction, we will continually grow in him. We start where we are by making faithful daily deposits. Not all deposits are equal in size. Not all accounts are at the same growth stage, but deposits we continue over our lifetime. So this year in particular, like it sounds like it has been for many others, has also been very challenging for our family. Um, And without explaining it all, basically, you could pick a topic, and it's been hard. So one particularly grumpy morning I was having, a verse kept playing over in my head. Be patient in affliction. Be patient in affliction. Be patient in affliction. And admittedly, I had to Google search this one. So Romans 12.12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So I have never memorized this verse. In fact, I haven't really spent time in Romans in years. It came from a deposit I made years ago, brought forward by the Spirit. And yet, the scripture was so pointed and convicting for that moment. I immediately texted my husband this encouragement that I had received from the Lord, and I felt so much heaviness lift by repenting from my horrible attitude, so much lifted by the reminder of who I am called to be. And his response was, wow, that's the verse that we studied this morning at Bible Study. You see, God is faithful in our efforts to spend time in his word. We're able to recall, maybe not with the verse reference, but we're able to recall his word by the power of the Holy Spirit in moments where we are being tempted to be led astray. You see, we had made a big life decision this year that we had prayed for for years, And we felt that God led us to this specific thing here in this year. But I was questioning it hard that day, wondering, God, where are you? I was stuck being grumpy, impatient, and frankly, not faithful in prayer, mainly praying when I was begging for things to go my way. (laughs) You see, when things are hard, my natural instinct is to either avoid it, to book an extended vacation and forget it, Um, I have the urge to figuratively run away, if you will. Or I want to fix it. I want to find an immediate solution to make the heart disappear as quickly and as painlessly as possible. But what's especially interesting in this verse is the word patient in the Greek is the word hypomeno. It's a verb that means to remain, not to flee, to persevere. Patient. Not just wait until the heart is over, but remain in the heart. Now, that verse is understandable without looking up the Greek, but what a significant impact it makes to just do a little research. So, Ryan and I are high school sweethearts. We've known each other for a long time, and I'm not even going to give you the amount of time that that has been because that would show my age. But what if after dating and our wedding day, I said, you know, actually, I don't really want to know anything else about you. I don't want to know your past memories. I don't want to know your dreams for the future. In fact, I actually only want to talk to you if I need something. I only want to chat if I need a quick encouragement. And after that, you can just go back to your room. We would never do this with the spells, but yet we do this with God. So I knew that Ryan was hardworking because he played soccer and he had a summer job. But after 14 years of marriage, I see the depth of his hard-working spirit. I see the depth of his honesty. And I see him put us first before himself daily. And truly, I loved him back then. But wow, do I love him now. The more I know of him, the more I love him. And it is so much more with God. I have yet to study something in Scripture that has left me less in love with God. In fact, it's been quite the opposite. I knew when I accepted Christ that God was gracious. But I really saw more depth of his grace when I studied the structure of the temple and what it meant when the curtain was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. Forever that curtain was there to keep us out of the holy of holies where God was said to have had presence. And with Jesus, it wasn't only your sins are atoned for, it was your sins were atoned for but also come near have access to me, be with me. I glanced over the brief mention about the temple curtain in the middle of the first climax of the Gospels for years. I glossed over that because I was like, okay, it's like a weird side note, a curtain tour, cool. But now that I understand the meaning, I read that verse and I'm left in tears. I knew that God was faithful. But until I studied genealogies, I saw the depth of his faithfulness throughout history. His willingness to stay faithful to what he proclaimed, to stay true to that word, in spite of being wildly undeserved by the characters of the Old Testament, in spite of them really messing up, God still used them and kept to his promise. I knew the terms of the attributes of God, but until I studied them more in depth, I saw which I can and am called to reflect and was convicted greatly by the many I try to reflect but are only reserved for God. Does anyone else desire to be all-knowing and have all control? (laughs) I knew that God would refine me like gold to look like Christ, as mentioned in 1 Peter 1, and this comparison is made in many, many other verses throughout Scripture, but until I studied how gold was refined in that time period, I didn't understand these passages fully. You see, the refiner would first break the pieces of ore, and he would place them in a melting pot and then heat them at a very high temperature. The ore melts, and the impurities, or the dross, rise to the surface. The refiner then removes the dross. The heat is raised, the impurities skimmed off, again and again and again. The temperature gets hotter and hotter each time because the refiner knows certain impurities are released at certain temperatures. And finally, once the refiner can clearly see his face in the gold, is it then pure? So the original audience would have understood this. But I was only able to grasp the surface of this comparison, because I obviously do not have the assumed understanding of how gold is refined. So how much more beautiful is this idea of being refined as gold with a little historical context? I may get to the end of my life and find that I've learned everything there is to know about my husband, but I won't find myself knowing everything there is to know about God. And that's the beauty of it. We don't need to have it all figured out all at once. In fact, you could study his word for your entire life and not fully grasp the depth of God and his word. You may be new to the faith, you may have accepted Christ long ago and feel that you know all the stories from Sunday school. You may be unsure about God and haven't taken that step with him yet. But I promise you, if you study his word properly, you won't be the same. Years ago, I started down this path with a lit flame that is yet to go out. The more I uncover through study of his word, the more I am transformed by it. The more bold I have become in sharing my faith with others, the more willing I am to wash another's feet the more willing I am to open my home. But the crazy thing is, I've only just begun. I certainly have not arrived when it comes to the knowledge of God, but I always hope to crave more of him. What a sin I will have committed if I believe myself to have acquired all knowledge of the God who has created all things. So I love the song that we sang earlier. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain." that I can't control. I want more of you, God. If there is more of God to be had, I want more. I don't want to be found guilty of fashioning an idol of God in my own image because I only dwell on the attributes of God that make me feel comfortable. I don't want to be found guilty of assuming God was going to passively make me look like him without any speaking on my part. I don't want to wake up one day and find that I have given Satan a foothold because I believed a lie that is easily combated in the Word, easily found with a little effort. I don't want to meet Jesus in heaven and Him say, You don't know me. You spent more time scrolling and consuming temporary things than spending time in the internal Word of God. I want to know Him as much as my limited capacity is capable. All of him, And I want this for all of you, that your passion for God and his word becomes so overwhelming that you are desperate for more of him. Wherever you are in your journey, whether you're starting with milk or you're moving on and ready for the meat, that you have a passion for being more like Christ every day. But don't take my word for it. Seek and find for yourself. So I'm going to close us in prayer. Um, Father God, thank you for who you are. We are thankful to serve an all-powerful God, yet one that also knows each of us by name. Thank you for your word. My prayer is that starting immediately, God, that you set a fire down in our souls, that we crave more and more of you this year. Father, I pray for a passion for your word and a passion to look more like you. I pray that we are like the Bereans, eager to glean what we can from what you've revealed to us and discerning what we hear. That 2024, God, is the year that we look back on that changed our life and our relationship with you, Lord. Go before us, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen.